Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person find a life full of freedom and purpose through Jesus. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. How many of you have ever stayed at someone else's house or property? Just raise your hand for a second. Okay. How many of you can't really relax and enjoy it the whole time you're there because you're worried uh, about it being somebody else's and not yours? Me? Anyone? I'm not really like that. My wife is like that. And so when we first started uh, dating and getting together, um, her family would always rent a condo down at Dirty Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, come on, the uh, Las Vegas of East Coast, y'all. And uh, so we would go down there, and every summer we'd spend a week in a condo. And it was awesome, you know, I mean, Myrtle Beach has the best putt-putt courses around. There's so much to do, the beach is there, and so it was a great family vacation. But what I noticed, um, and I've watched this transfer from my mother-in-law to my wife, is about the last 24 to 48 hours that we were there, they didn't do anything else but clean. And then once they cleaned it, like you couldn't enjoy it anymore. Like I don't even know that I, I don't know that I've ever slept on a bed the last night we were in a place because my wife would wash the sheets and make it. Yeah, it's serious. And so like we, you know, put your, you know, you lay down on the couch and you put your feet up. Hey, and she, you know, she would gently remind me, and rightly so, like this isn't ours. Get your feet off the. You know, the, de- the table, the desk, the whatever it is, the thing in the middle of the floor that looks like it should be for your feet, but normally it's not. And like, I'm just trying to relax, right? But I realize it's not ours. And I would just watch this happen. And now that we've gotten married, we've gone on vacations, and we've, you know, we've used, uh, we've been blessed. People have properties, you know, beach houses. They're like, hey, why don't you guys, uh, you know, take, get the kids taken care of and go enjoy this for the few nights. And it's been wonderful. And, uh, but... I'm telling you, like, we get there, and over half the trip is Brooke maintaining, and, and not just maintaining, but then trying to make it better, leave it in better condition than we found it. And I know what you're asking. You're like, well, Josh, why is it always Brooke? Like, why aren't you helping her? And that's because I'm, like, you know, I'm, like, praying and, like, writing sermons and stuff. So, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's just it's what she does. Like, it's just who she is. And what I begin to notice with this is that's not really present when we're in a hotel room. When we're in a hotel room, it's just like we leave clothes everywhere, towels everywhere. Like you just don't treat a hotel room the same way you do if Jesse had a beach house. And he's like, hey, Josh, you and Brooke go stay at my beach house. I'm going to make sure, we're all going to make sure, A, we want to respect that. Two, we might want to come back. We want to honor that. We want to be a good steward of that. But then you go to a hotel room. I mean, I know I'm not the only one that you probably leave it worse. I guarantee you leave it worse than when you found it. Guaranteed. 100%. Why is that? Why is that? Well, because you don't know the owner. But something about when you know the owner, especially when you have, and it's really quiet in here. Y'all are going to have to like, talk back to me some a little bit. It's just oddly, eerily, like, vacant in here. Like, come on. Um, thank you. We love you, too. But seriously, um, it is, why is that? When we know the owner, we treat it differently. And I think for me, that, is, that lies the difference of, how we treat God and how we respond to what God has given us. In particular, I'm talking about stewardship. And so this verse, 1 Chronicles 29 3, uh, through 6, I brought the context out last week, so I'm not going to spend time doing that today. You can find it in the podcast if you missed it or if you want to revisit it. But it says this. This is David talking to the kingdom of Israel. Because I've set my heart on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above. 
Not just what was required, but over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And he looks at them, who of you is ready to give? That's where the heart for the house offering stems from. But the reality is, a lot of us in this room, we don't have a problem giving. We don't have a problem giving to the church. Because we've, we've kind of made it up in our minds that it's like another form of charity. But as we talked about last week, I, I don't need your money. Rescue Church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. It's not about charity. It's about obedience. It's about response. And ultimately, a lot of people have this view. I've given, but I'm still in debt. <laughs> I'm given, but I still have more month the money. And what we unpacked last week is it's not just about generosity. Generosity is a huge piece of it, but to have a blessed life, a rich and satisfying life that it says in John 10, 10, which is the purpose for which Jesus came. It's the invitation he gives us, that rich and satisfying life to stand in life. It takes two legs. So it's not just generosity, but it's also stewardship. It's also discipline. And stewardship, in the most simplest terms, is returning something back better than how you received it. It's a better return on investment than even the investment itself. That is what good stewardship is. And good stewardship can only take place when we understand who the owner actually is. Just refer back to our hotel beach property analogy. So I want to ask you a question. God, it's so, why is it just weirdly quiet in here today? Like, there's not even like the, is the AC? Is that what it is? That's what it is, yes. Because I hear a daggone pin drop. I don't like it. Laugh or something. Even if it's not funny, just laugh. So, LSU beat Alabama yesterday. Come on, someone. Woo! Okay, y'all don't even care. All right, so, um, here it is. Is the money in your account yours? No. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. No, I like it. All right. And if, uh, if we weren't in church and I asked you that question, what would you say? Yeah, yeah right, okay. <laughs> is the house that you own yours, is the car that you drive really yours? What I'm trying to say is, are your possessions really yours? And the answer to that dictates how you live your life. Now, one of my favorite things to do, I don't watch a lot of like, uh, network television. I'm mostly Netflix and YouTube at this point in my life. And there is a channel by two local guys right here from this area, right here from the Triangle, that have blown up. Uh, and that is Good Mythical Morning, Rhett and Link. I love them so much. They're an amazing channel. They're hilarious. It's clean. Just check it out. Just good, wholesome, fun, entertainment. Anyway, um, this has no point to the sermon other than every episode they're like, this episode is about X, Y, Z. And then uh, Link goes, or Rhett goes, one of them says, let's talk about that. And that's kind of what I just want to stop here just for a second. Because the answer to that question is everything. Is the money in your account yours? Is the house that you own yours, is the car that you drive really yours? Let's talk about that for a second. Because the way we answer that determines everything. Psalms 24, 1, and this is one of like 16, 17 different verses I could have pulled from. It says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, last time I checked, when you go back into the original Hebrew, the word everything translated into English means everything, okay? So just being real, like everything in it is the Lord's. The world 
He wants to repeat it. I love, the Bible does that a lot. And when you see it repeated, it's because they really, really, really want you to understand. They're trying to emphasize something. The world and all its people belong to him. David writes again in Psalm 50, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And then this is an amazing verse. And God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. (laughs) I would just go get one of my cows and butcher it and eat a steak. Okay, I get it. Some of y'all are like, don't eat meat. So I would go to my own field. And plant my glu- and, and pull my gluten free like veggies, right, and all that stuff. And I would cook myself. I don't need your cow. I don't need your produce. I don't need your vegetation because it's all mine. I wouldn't even tell you. For the world is mine, and all of its fullness thereof. So the first thing that we have to understand here today, Rescue Church, is it all belongs. To God. Now, I get it. You work hard and you work overtime and you work multiple jobs and you're in school and you're not only piling up the degrees, you're also piling up the school debt and it's yours and you're working hard for it and you sacrificed and you made a budget and you live by it and you listen to Dave Ramsey every day on 106.1 and like you're making all these choices to set yourself up to get all these things and you think they're yours. I'm just telling you, they're not. It all belongs to God. Either, either he is creator or he's not. That's why evolutionists don't like creation. Because it immediately puts the authority on him. It's, it didn't just happen, but there was something that initiated and controls it all. It has authority over it all. Listen to me. Like if you're a believer today. If you're not, I'm not really talking to you right this second. But if you are a believer here today, either he is Lord which means he rules over all, he owns it all, or he doesn't. It all belongs to God. And so with that truth in mind, since it all belongs to God, the first also belongs to God. I know y'all are here we go. This is it. I knew we were going to get to this. I knew the pastor was going to talk about tithing. And we are talking about tithing today. Because again, the heart of this series is not to convince you to give me money. I don't need your money. The heart of this series is not to get you to give us a sacrificial, substantial, guilt-ridden amount at the heart for the house offering. No, the the heart of this series is to maybe even sort out and rewrite the perception you have towards God and towards money. And specifically, your heart. Because it is about your heart, as we covered last week. But since it all belongs to God... The first belongs to God. In Exodus chapter 13, we're going old school for a little bit today. It says in verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses. We all know who Moses is. We all know what Moses did. Even if you've never even read the Bible, you know who Moses is. And the Lord spoke to Moses and he said something pretty important. He says this, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Because the first belongs to God. And whatever happens, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, underline this, highlight it in your smartphone app, it is mine because it all belongs to God. And since it all belongs to God, God shows us right here many other times that the first, I'm not even talking about your finances right now, 
the first of all you have belongs to him. He also says in Exodus chapter 23, look at this. This is a term that some of us have heard before. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The first of the first fruits, the first of your best, the first of you've planted these seeds, you've tilled the ground, you planted the seeds, you took care of them, you weeded them, you, you nurtured them, you watered them, they sprung up, you finally went out, you worked hard, you got the harvest. That's your first fruits. God wants the first of those things. In fact, over 16 different times, God declares throughout Scripture that the firstborn, that the first is his, which is where we get the term tithing from. Tithing is a Hebrew word that means tenth. And here's what God was trying to teach us all throughout Scripture, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the law, which we'll cover in a second, but throughout all of Scripture, through all, all, all of history. See, what God was trying to teach us is this, is Truman, if you had a flock of sheep, it doesn't take faith for you to give me the tenth one born. You have a, you have a sheep, she's pregnant, she gives ten, birth to ten little lambs. It doesn't take faith for you to give me the tenth one because you've already got nine others. It takes faith for you to give me the first one. First one is putting our faith and trust into the creator, into the supplier, into the sustainer, into the one who all belongs to anyway. And this is what God, this is a principle. You got to listen to me here, okay? Because this is going to change the game for some of you. Because your history of church is, when it comes to tithing, it's the pastor trying to trick you to get something out of you. It, but this is beyond tithing. This is a principle that God implemented. God upheld it. And throughout scripture, God teaches us, his people, that if you give me the first, then I will bless the rest. If you give me the first, it doesn't take faith for you to give me the last one. If you give me the first one, I will bless the rest. But so many people, people that love God, love church, we don't operate that way. We get the check, we take care of the groceries, the bills, the things that we think are important, the priority. Then we give. If we give, then we, it's, it's, if we give, it's normally then we give. It's not I am giving and I'm trusting my first to go out. Now I get it. This sounds like a pyramid scheme. But if you go back to last week, it's not I give to get, but I get to give. We have to capture that. And I know some of you are there, some of you are not there. And that's fine because we're all on a journey together. I'm just telling you. In verse 19, bring it back up of Exodus. The last verse, yep, right there. It doesn't say give to the Lord. It says bring it. It doesn't say give. It says bring. Because it already belongs to him. You're not giving, you're bringing. In Genesis chapter 4, now watch this. Because I get it, you're like, the law, and we're not in the law anymore, and Jesus, all this. Okay, cool, let me just help you out. In Genesis chapter 4, a little incident occurs. Adam and Eve's two boys, the sons of, the, the brothers of destruction, really. Um, um, this is what happens in verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Just catch that. He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. 
Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect, he did not accept Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. A lot of people, when we think of Cain and Abel, we think of the murder scene, which we'll reference in just a second. But we miss that Cain did bring an offering to the Lord. But it wasn't the first one. It was an offering out of obligation. My dad told me I had to do this. I need need to do this. It wasn't a pure motive. And it wasn't even what God began to implement the, the, the principle of the first. And I get it. Let me just help real quick because we think that tithing is this, this old law principle and you, you don't hear tithing in the New Testament. But let me just help you unpack all this, okay? Um, Timeline-wise, let's just get a, like, pull up for a second and pretend we're looking at this timeline right here. Um, Cain and Abel, when we just read, it was around 4,000 B.C., Okay, around 4,000 B.C. Now, just to give you um, some, some markers along the journey, Abraham was about um, 2,000 B.C. And for, so from Adam and Eve to Abraham was about 2,000 B.C. And then from Abraham to Jesus was 2,000. And in between that was David at 1,000. So just kind of follow me along the journey, okay? So Cain and Abel is at 4,000. Uh, Moses received the law at 1,500 B.C. So I get it. Like, I suck at math, and I'm like, okay, so like I carry the one. Let me just help. So, okay, so that's 20 or 15, 2,500 years. I told you, I almost fudged it up. 2,500 years before the law was given, the principle was taught. Because it's not about the law. It's about the principle of which God implemented. Now, So I get it, like just because we're not under the law anymore through Jesus coming, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And if you're like, well, I don't tithe because we don't live under the the, the Israel law anymore. Well, then if you think you could just leave here and go murder someone and go steal from someone and cheat on your wife and it not affect you in a negative way, we just need to sit down and talk. We just need to have a conversation over some coffee or something, okay? Because I'm telling you, it's a principle with God. And it didn't, murder didn't become wrong when Moses wrote it down on a tablet. It was already wrong. Jesus, they just recorded it so we'd have a standard to ascribe to. Just the same way tithing didn't become right just because when it became part of the law, the Jewish law. So now that we're kind of on the same page and we're tracking a little bit and you realize that Josh isn't just another preacher trying to get money out of your bank account into mine. We need to understand that it all belongs to God. And because it belongs to God, the first belongs to God. And because the first belongs to God, the tithe belongs to God. This is another instance of the principle. Okay, I'm trying to show you that it's much bigger than just this written statement on a tablet. Okay, or this, this thing that some preacher has told you since you were a kid. I'm trying to show you the principle. Because... Um, when Joshua and the Israelites took the promised land, you realize what was in the way, right? First, they had to cross the Jordan River. 
Then they had to get to Jericho, which was a city that was impenetrable. Okay, it had never been taken. It had never been sacked. And you know the story. They trusted God. They praised God. They marched around, and the walls fell, and they took the city. And they were so excited, and they were so obedient, and they were so faithful. And then they realized that for us to continue on this journey, there were about 13 other kings that we now had to fight. So we got some breakthrough, but now we understand there's so much more battles that we have to overtake. And they enter the promise, and now watch this. God looks at them and he says, bring all of the silver, all of the loot, everything you just got, everything that you fought for. Hey, I gave you the victory, but you had to march. You had to go take the city. You had to fight. Everything that you thought you just earned. Watch this now. You put in the 40, 50-hour work week. You're taking 16, 18 credit hours. You just landed that dream job. You just got that promotion. You've worked hard. You just bought, you just paid that first mortgage payment, or the last one rather. You just paid that last car payment. Everything that you just obtained. This is what God does in this moment. He says, bring all the silver and gold into the house of the Lord. If you keep reading that story, Joshua chapter 7, you find out that they didn't bring everything. They kept some gold and silver for themselves. And if you keep reading what happens next, they have to go take the city of Ai, which is like, you know, um, Bahama against the city of Durham. Okay, Ai should have been, I could have sent half my troops. I shouldn't have even had to break a sweat. But because they took from the Lord, Joshua 7 says they stole from the Lord. He removed his blessing from their life. And they lost the battle. Now, why is it that God would want them to bring all of the possessions into Jericho? Because it was the first city. Because it was the first city. Because the first belongs to him. It's a principle. It is a principle. And as you keep reading, like, don't be offended when I say this, okay? Actually, you can be offended because just, it's just going to happen sometimes. But my intent is not to offend you. In Joshua 7, the Bible, God's word, calls his people thieves for taking, for stealing. In other words, for not returning what belonged to him to begin with. And Malachi 3, the same thing. He says that you have robbed me. Go read it for yourself. Malachi 3, Joshua 7. Because the tithe belongs to God. Because the first belongs to God. Why? Because at the end of the day, it all belongs to him. And this is a principle, Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. For it is holy to the Lord. So here's the conclusion, friends, that we can get from all of this. If it all belongs to God, then you and I, are not the owner. Most of us live like we are. If it all belongs to God, then I'm not the owner. And if I'm not the owner, then tithing really isn't giving. It's returning. We think that we are somehow blessing God by writing him a check. We think that we are somehow helping God 
he's like he's waiting for Josh Overton to write a measly check to make like that's no because he's the owner and I'm not giving to him he already owns it I'm returning back to him because it's a principle of honor and it's a principle of obedience and it's a principle of faith I can't tell you why God chose 10% maybe because it's easy No matter how much money you make or how much money you wish you made, everybody can give 10%. Now, your 10% may be different than my 10%, but it is equal. And in an age where everything has to be equal, that's a pretty good wager. 10%. But it's it's not about 10%. It's not about tithing in and of itself. It is about the principle of understanding and subscribing to God being the owner. So I've used a lot of Old Testament, and I know today is a little bit more teachy than preachy, but um, I wanted to show you something from the New Testament as well. So it's a parable, an illustration that Jesus shares that you've read, you've heard it taught many times, and I just wanted to reference it before we close out today. And it comes from Matthew 25, verse 14 through 29. So I want to read it to you, and we'll kind of pause through it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close out today. Matthew 25, Jesus is sharing this story. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who has called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gives how many? Five, right? He gives five talents. Now, talents is money. I know that we think ability, but I can prove it to you theologically, and I've studied this for a while. There's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me that have proven that we're actually talking about money here. And I know that shocks you that Jesus actually said the word money, and he talked about it. But he did a lot of times. In fact, almost 50% of what he talked about when he told a story was about money and possession. So it matters because your heart matters. And he also said wherever your treasure is, your heart is not the other way around. So, he says, I give you five talents. To another I give you two, and to another I give you one. Watch this. Each according to his own ability. Which lets us know, and as a father of three kids, this is, this is huge, I can't discipline and love and treat and parent any of my three kids the same. It's impossible. I've tried it because it's easier, but they don't fit that mold. God doesn't do the same thing with us. That should help somebody, okay? But it is according to his own ability, and he immediately went on a journey. Now, before we go in any further, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, so uh, denarius, it, that, that term, that money in Jesus' day, a denarius was a day's wage. A day's wage. A denarii is 10,000 denariuses, which you wouldn't say. It's kind of like octopus and octopi, okay? But so that's got to stay with me. Denarii is 10,000 days wage. And so a 10,000 denarii is a lifetime of working. So that's one talent of what they called silver. It equated to about exactly... 33 and a quarter years of work because 
In that time when you were 12, you would enter the workforce with your father. By the time that you were 17, you were a certified laborer. And then you would retire around the age 55. Wouldn't that be nice? But the reason for that is because life expectancy was around 60. So about 33 and a quarter's worth of wage, year's wage, made that up. Also, that's the exact amount of time that Jesus lived. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that in a second. So 10,000 denarii would be a lifetime wage, one talent of silver. So what this story is setting up is there was a person who was entrusted with one year's worth of income. I'm sorry, one life's worth of income. There was another who had that double. There was another who had that five times. The master had invested and trusted into these servants. It says, so he went on a journey. Uh, what is that? Verse 17. And likewise, who had received two, I'm sorry, uh, went on a journey. Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he expanded it. He doubled it. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had only received one went and dug it and buried it in the ground, and he hid the Lord's money. Now, verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts. That's a somber reminder this morning. that The master is going to want to settle up. He's going to want to know, what have you done with what I've given you? I don't want to hear that this person had more or they had more to work with. I gave you what you could handle up to your own ability. What did you do with it? Is he talking about money? Yeah, sure he is. How do you know that? Well, let's keep reading. So verse 20, so he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more. And his Lord said to them, well done, Good and faithful servant. You could literally interchange that word with good and faithful steward. Well done. The story that Jesus chooses to tell in this moment is highlighting the master rewarding someone for managing and stewarding money the way he was supposed to do it. Well, I thought it was about how many people I preached to and how many songs I led in worship and how many hands I got to go up. And, you know, all those things are great. But I'm just pointing out that this story is in the Bible and it is talking about money. And he goes, he says, it doesn't stop there. He says, good and faithful servant, you are faithful over a few things. So I will make you a ruler over many. And then I love this. Enter the joy of your Lord. Because so many of us are living in financial crisis and we have no joy. But God shows us right here that when we are good stewards, it ushers in, hello, the blessing of the Lord, joy. Most of us don't know what joy is anymore. It's been so long since we felt it. We might get happy. Our favorite movie comes out. We ate a good dinner. We had a good time with our wife the night before. Like We get happy. Come on. But when the circumstance changes, it leaves us. I'm telling you. This is a path to find freedom and purpose in your life as much as anything I've ever preached. And it's proven right here. Verse 22, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and I've gained you two more. 
And the Lord says the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many. Enter into the joy, the blessing of the Lord. And then in verse 24, he finds the one who had one talent. And he said, Lord, I knew you had to be a hard man. And I hope none of us have that view towards God, but I know there's, there's people out there that do. We view God as a dictator, a ruler, hard man to please. He's going to be mad at me. He's going to be disappointed in me. Really what this guy was making excuses. Because he says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So he didn't lose per se, but he definitely didn't do what the master wanted. He didn't expand it. He didn't, he, he didn't return what the, Lord, what the master was looking for. And this is what the master says back to him. He says, but the Lord answered, verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. Like it could have gained interest. It could have done something more than what you did. And I'm just, I'm just saying the wicked and the lazy servant buried it in the ground. He didn't invest it into a bank because he didn't want any record of it. He wanted to hide it. He, he, he wanted to be in control. He didn't want to be a steward. He wanted to be the owner. And so he buried it and hid it so he could conceal his activity or his lack of. Verse 28 says, he took the talent from him and he gave it to the one who had ten. And he says, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The wicked and the lazy servant was more concerned with the blessing than he was the blesser. And that is the biggest trap the enemy wants you to fall into, which is why I'm not preaching you some prosperity gospel and making you all these unfulfilled promises that if you give and tithe every single week, that God's going to open up the floodgates of heaven and you're going to get this $500,000 house and you're going to drive this very nice car. Like This is not a prosperity gospel because you don't get to give. You give to get. You return. You invest. You expand and you grow because you do, you're doing it to honor the blesser, not to earn a blessing. The byproduct of that is the blessing does come. God has proven that. And I'm not just talking about what's written in Scripture. I could fill up an entire service with people just like you, some of them being you. And we would all share how we trusted God, we gave to God, we honored God, and he blessed us for that. But I'm just trying to show you the principle. And I'm also trying to help you avoid the pitfall of being concerned with the blessing, which I get. Because who doesn't want blessing? Who doesn't want a ghost check in the mail? Can't, you don't know where it came from, but my God has helped you so much. Like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want the free money? Who doesn't want the gifts? Who doesn't want the, the promotions? All those things. But when you place your attention on those things, you fall into the trap that the enemy has laid for you. And the reality is you're not giving, you're returning because it all belongs to God. And we have to agree on that. We have to capture that and leave here today with that in mind.
And the thing that I want to point out to you, the very last thing, is as God has implemented from the beginning to the end, this principle of the first, this principle of the tithe. He didn't just say, hey, this is what I expect. He didn't just say, this is what I want. It's what he did. Because God offered his first for you. Jesus was God's tithe. He gave him up to get us. And so we don't give to get. Because of what Jesus has done in our life. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. Exactly what I said last week. Generosity is because of who he is. And because of what he's done. And we don't give to get. We get to give. We give in response. We return in response. We give first. Because God gave his first to us. And my friends. That is why we give. That is why we tithe. Back into this house. Not because I need your money, because I don't. I went and got a job. I'm good. My wife got a job. I don't need you to pay my bills. I don't need you to fund anything. God will take care of it. What I need you to do, though, is get the blessing of God in your life. The goodness of God in your life. The joy of God in your life. And this is a true path to finding that if you take the path with an understanding that I give because God gave to me. And in just a moment, when you stand and you sing and you lift your hands and you pray, you're worshiping. And when you give, you're worshiping. When you serve, you're worshiping. When you forgive someone, like it's all a picture of what he did for us first. And I haven't found anywhere in my life that God has ever asked something for me that he didn't first do in my life. Yeah, there was a lot of people I had to learn to forgive. But he had to forgive me first. There were a lot of things that I had to work for to provide for my family. But man, he provided for me first. Jesus was God's tithe. So I want you to just stay where you are. And uh, if you have a chance, maybe pull out, if you're not already, pull out something to write on or pull out your phone. And I want you to take this next step question that I'm about to give you. And I'm going to ask you to go home this week and pray through it. We sang a song today, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, come. We want more of you, all those things. Okay. Let's not be a church that gathers on Sunday and prays prayers that we're not willing to go out and live. Let's come in here and worship the walls off and the roof off and all these things. Want it, love it, passion is great. But let's take this and go apply it to our life. So here it is. The first thing is this. Because Jesus was God's tithe, the first step you might need to take is towards Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I get that. And I'm so happy that, that maybe that's you today and this is your opportunity. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you and give you that opportunity to do that. But here's what I know. Everybody has an opportunity to take a step. And that first step, while it is towards Jesus, every other step after that is with him. It's a journey with him. And here's the question. Here's the next step. Here is the next part of your journey with God. Here it is so simple. Write it down. 
and ask the Holy Spirit this question sometime this week. What do I need to do that will enable me to be a better steward of what you've given me? And real quick, I just feel like I need to say it. This is not an anti-stuff message. This is not an anti-possession. Like you, I think you can have nice things. You work hard for those things. You can enjoy your life. As long as you remember who the owner is. If you remember who the owner is, then it'll never be an issue. So if a steward is returning back something better than how I got it, what do I need to do that will enable me to be a better steward? Thank you for listening. Join us each week here on the pod or live in Durham. Keep up with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rescue Church NC.